Hello, we are Bluecast. I'm Rob. I'm Ewan. I'm James. The question is, why are we called Bluecast? So today, on the old Bluecast, we are talking about Scott Pilgrim. It is the graphic novel uh, series written by Brian Lee O'Malley. It's also a film directed by Edgar Wright. And it's a video game made by Ubisoft. And a YouTube short film as well. Yes. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Uh, and also an animated short on YouTube, which is really good. And I wish they made a Netflix series out of because it's so brilliant. But yes, so that's what we'll be talking about today. Scott Pilgrim. So it follows, you know, all of these books and, uh, and the movie and the video game. They all follow the life of Scott Pilgrim, who's mm-hmm. a Canadian 23-year-old loser who lives in, the, in a one-room apartment with his gay friend Wallace. There's in a band called Sex for Bomb. It's the mysterious literal girl of his dreams, Ramona Flowers. If Scott wants to get with Ramona, he has to defeat her seven evil exes led by the mysterious Gideon Graves. Yeah. That's enough. But it's also stylized in a way of like old video game references and perfect sort of like symbols of 90s culture. It's mm. basically the most nostalgic, probably graphic. It's the most nostalgic graphic novel you'll ever read, probably. It's the most millennial thing i can think of oh yeah like, like all of the characters are like um, are, are in their 20s at the turn of the millennium the thing as well is funny because i think that's one of the themes of scott pilgrim is accepting the past but not like um fetishizing it if that makes sense yeah like well, over romanticizing it basically and you know obsessing over it i guess Oh my god, there's a lot of stuff going on in this series. <laughs> can, can, we, can we just put a spoiler warning here quickly, actually? Because I'm going to spoil yeah. a brilliant joke in the graphic novels. I think we have to spoil it for this one. I imagine that people might not have read the books but seen the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think because it's more mainstream the movie, whereas the graphic novels are a bit more on the uh, alternative scene. The movie was a box office bomb when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. loves Scott Pilgrim. Everyone, I, went to saw it, I went to see it in cinemas. Although I did read the graphic novels first. I didn't really. see it in the cinema, but I did I did read the books first. Nice. And I well, saw it on TV, I think. Which is interesting because I saw the films then read the books a couple of years later. Ah. Actually, maybe we should jump in with that. So I hadn't actually read any graphic novels prior to this. So I, I had no knowledge of like, you know, graphic novelists like Adam Moore or Neil Gaiman or anything like that. And I went to Waterstones one day and I saw these kind of graphic novels on the side thinking, oh, I need to read more comics and stuff like that, so why not? Uh, so I purchased the first Scott Pilgrim graphic novel. The bookseller gave it to me and stuff like that. I read it in a day and came back the next day, and then I bought the second one. And then I came the next day again, and I bought the, the third and fourth one. Uh, and it kept going until I bought the, the sixth one, and he said, like, will I be expecting you tomorrow? And I was like, on oh, my sixth book, and I was like, nah, this is the last one, sorry. But I basically binge-read them all in a week. And it was around about the same time that the films were coming out. So I think it wasn't so much that I discovered it through the films, but because the films were coming out, they were more on the front of bookshelves and stuff like that. So I just basically discovered it in Waterstones through the promotion and basically fell in love with it. And it's one of, to this, to this very day, it's one of my most favourite graphic novels I've ever discovered. So, yeah. I'm, I'm the first of you two, as in I saw the film first. Yeah. So I first heard about Scott Pilgrim when I was about um, 14, 15. To preface this, throughout secondary school, and for a couple years afterwards, I used to read Empire magazine oh, like, yeah. religiously. That's where I got like all my my sources on like, what the films coming out. And uh, like I said, I was about fourteen, fifteen, and um, I remember a brief article in Empire that just said the film was being made by Edgar Wright and what the basic premise of the book was. 
looks were. And I think it, it's definitely something that intrigued me, and I kind of like vaguely followed it whenever Empire like, spoke about it. I think I remember what um, picked me up, like I need to see this from Empire on the cover just before mm. it came out, and I was like, okay, I'm seeing this film. Uh, but I think I was on holiday when it came out. But as soon as I got back, I got in touch with a friend, and we arranged to see the film that weekend. I remember seeing the film and like absolutely loving it, but I don't think I had much to do with Scott Pilgrim after that, other than me and my siblings had the game on the PS3, which we'll get back to later. Mm. So, so I didn't get around to it until, because my first year at uni, my university was really close to like a Wolfstone, like there was turns right around the corner. Yeah. So I had some time still before a lecture, so I was just browsing like the graphic novel section, I saw that the first volume of Scott Pilgrim's, I thought, I'll check this out, I'll buy it, and I read it. Um, I got really into it, and much like you, James, I made subsequent visits <laughs> to get the other books. Because I think I think I bought two and three at the same time, yeah. and then after I read three, I just went back and bought four, five, and six all at once. And I think <laughs> again, I had time before a lot of times before a lecture, yeah. so I just sat there thinking on, on the study area, just reading the like volumes four, five, and six sim, sim, back to back. Oh, lovely! Not even a year later, I was going to Florida for a family holiday. Oh. And you know what? I'm going to take um, Scott Pilgrim with me to read again. And while I was, I was over there for three weeks, I read the entire series twice while I was there because I got so into it. I was, and that was the one moment where I think a really quick picked me. Yeah, I love these comics, this rules. And shortly after I got back, I finally bought the film on DVD. And while I did further books because they go into more details, yeah. I still really enjoyed the film. Yeah. And movies in the books of this as being like, I think it's anyone like my seventh or eighth time I've read the books and it was just delightful to re be able to revisit it. I'm a lot like Scott Pilgrim in the sense that I have such a haze of what uh, high school was like that like, I honestly, I struggle to remember when I first read Scott Pilgrim. But I must have been like 15, 16, I guess. So it was before, I know it was before uni. I think a friend of mine like lent them to me. I think he lent me the first three, but then I think I bought them anyway, like eventually. Because yeah, like you guys, I I just got hooked on them. I know that like I bought the last three together, and I know where I bought them because I found the receipt in one of the books. <laughs> um, Brilliant. It, it, it literally, it's the most faded thing in the universe. But I got them the Edinburgh International Book Festival. I want to say it was like 2014, uh, 2013. So yeah, when I was about 17, 18. But yeah, like it was really weird coming back to them and rereading them because it reminded me how obsessed I was with these books. And I never, I never saw the movie until like way later, like at least until uni, I think. Oh, wow. Um, so I spent, yeah, I think the, the movie was already out like when I read the books. I just never once thought to watch it or I just didn't care that much. I just, I read the books, I read, reread them, reread them. My, my Scott Pilgrim volume four is like just completely like dogged. It's got like all these marks on it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I think it just kind of, we kind of talked about it before we started recording, but like basically we're a weird generation. We're kind of stuck between the millennial and the Zoomer generation. We're mm. kind of in the middle. And, um, and so I think Scott Pilgrim was kind of cool because like, you know, I kind of grew up seeing a lot of the stuff that Scott Pilgrim kind of like references and it kind of like looks into. So it just felt very relatable on that level, I guess. And, it, you know, yeah. like everything from just playing Super Mario and, and Legend of Zelda. And of course, my big thing was that I hung out. I was basically young Neil. So young Neil's <laughs> a character in the show. 
Yes, um, he he, he kind of just hangs out with everyone, and he's kind of just there at, at like when when all the guys in the bands are like doing their gigs. Oh, oh yes, because you and used to show up to my first band. Oh, yeah, so. I think there's a photo of him. He, he was like he was like the um, got a photo of him. He's like the one person at the front watching us play. <laughs> oh, bless you. We have one of one of, my, one of my worst photos of all time. I hate that photo. That, no, that's, but, really, um, that's really sweet though. That is really sweet. It, looking back, it's really sweet. The lead guitarist in that photo looks great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was kind of amazing, like realizing how similar I was to these a lot of these characters, and I think that was one of the big reasons why I became so obsessed with it. I just I became very obsessed with like the whole world of it, like all all the characters and everything, and and like now reading it again, I've just realized I kind of relate to it even more. <laughs> like there's. there's <laughs> Because the characters are in their twenties, they're all like the same age as as we are now, basically. Like all you know, between like twenty three to like twenty six, twenty seven, kind of thing. But everyone's kind of that age, and everyone's still kind of just in kind of like cruddy jobs that they don't want, or, or they're still living in like cruddy apartments, or you well, know, they don't have a job at all. Yeah, exactly. They don't have a job at all. One character, Kim Pine, goes to goes back to live with her parents for a while. You know, it's like all just stuff that a lot of us are doing. Yeah, moment. that's the way perfectly onto one person you want to bring up, which is one one things I really love about the series is its universe. It's pretty much basically your everyday, mundane world, kind of like the one we're living in. But then suddenly, like, crazy mystic stuff just happens, and then no one questions it. So, perfect example of this is the first volume. So, yeah, the first volume, mostly pretty normal, other than the whole Ramona, like, travelling through dreams to deliver packages thing. Then suddenly, at the very end, even though it is kind of, you do kind of get hints of it throughout the volume, like, Scott vaguely reading some emails and letters and just saying, oh, I don't care, I'm just going to get rid of this. Dear Mr. Pilgrim, it has come to my attention that we will be fighting soon. My name is Matthew Patel and blah, 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 blah. This is boring. Delete. This guy comes in wanting to fight Scott and Scott suddenly just starts kicking his ass and then everyone is just like, doesn't question it. Like, yeah, Scott's just like the best fighter in the province. And then suddenly like people like just turn to coins when they die and like no one seems to care and i'm like oh my god these guys are just like just get on with whatever else they were doing yeah it's like this weird magic slash sci-fi world where yeah no nobody questions any of like the completely amazing video game logic that seems to happen yeah. everywhere it could be because maybe the world is kind of like this weird video gamey world where people just turn into and yeah. respawn at their last save point or whatever. But the thing is, like, the characters just straight up break the fourth wall a couple of times. Like, literally oh, just, yeah. I think it's like during a date with, like, Ramona. Ramona's just like, oh, it's such a long story in my past. And then, like, Scott's like, well, that could be volume two, can't it? Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the humour as well is some of my favourite games are those fourth wall breaks breaking gags where the characters casually mention in a comic book like say oh yeah read the book sometime or this happens last volume there's the joke as well like because uh, i own the original black and white editions and also the colored editions there is a joke basically talking about ramona flowers changing her hair color which she does do throughout all of the books and the films and the games scott remarks on this saying like oh you changed your hair and stuff and there's a little speech file saying like just as a note this comic book is in black and white and so you can't tell this <laughs> basically as a disclaimer yeah. however there is the 
coloured edition. So when you read the coloured edition, the same dialogue that's happened already, you change your hair basically. It says there's little notes saying this joke was better in black and white. It's yeah. just like yeah. oh, <laughs> you know your hair. I know of it. It's all blue. No, you say another thing that I really liked. So while Scott vs. Steve Wexes is, is kind of like the main story, mm. it's spread over six volumes and we spend like plenty of time just with the characters just going about their everyday life. Yeah. And weird enough, it's just as engaging as all the um, like super cool comic book fights. It's like it's cool to see other characters like, like sitting around the campfire or just like um, hanging out with each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. So many couches. <laughs> so many couches and so many student accommodation style places. Weird how like even though it, it was written twenty years ago, it hasn't there's not much that's changed since then. You know well, like, uh, they, uh, I disagree with that. Kim works in a blockbuster. Me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. There's probably actually more jobs back then than there are now. Everyone um, actually got along back then. Maybe uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Canada. Favorite things about um, is it Tim working blockbuster is Scott to come in like, "Hey, can I borrow these movies?" And Tim's like, "No, you and Stephen are permanently banned. You took like." Months to return a copy of the Land Before Time book, <laughs> and there's like a note saying, um, Kane's mice took it, do not ever let him borrow anything again. He is scum, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a little. And that's the thing that the, the books are so full of tiny details like that. Like, if you just look around the various panels, there's always like some in joke or something going on. I it's think really cute. I have to say it, Brian Lee O'Malley, literally, I think he's the first. He's the only graphic novelist I've read, like, basically where he's just enjoying himself. He's enjoying himself writing and drawing this. It's not even something like, I mean, there is a poignant story to be taken from it, but what stays with me is just the amount of fun he's having while writing it. It's just like, these inside jokes and references, it's, oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's amazing. That's yeah, why that's... I think he ended it, he, he didn't want to get, like, sick of it. Mm. I think one thing he cited was, um, Hergé got really sick of writing Tintin near the end of his life. Thundering typhoons, Tintin. So he thought, I don't want that to happen with me and Scott Pilgrim, so I'm just going to end it after this volume. He's moved on and he's written some pretty good stuff since yeah. then. So. He, yeah, oh, he's done stuff. some good stuff. He's done seconds, which is, believe it or not, the, the, the same characters make a cameo in one of the panels as well. It's in the same sort of style as Scott Pilgrim, but it's its own self-contained story. And it's, it's also... It's just as heartwarming, I think, and, and it's like kind of thought-provoking as well as Scott Pilgrim. Like it's it, everything that's thought-provoking and heartwarming about Scott Pilgrim is transferred into this uh, second story, which is seconds. Oh, but it's not quite as nerdy. Every book of his references the fact that garlic bread makes you fat, and one character doesn't seem to realize that. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know that. Happens in seconds as well. Garlic bread is my favorite food. I could honestly eat it for every meal, or just eat it all the time without even stopping. <laughs> you get fat. No, why would I get fat? Bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat? I don't, oh, I need to read that again now. I think the design of the pages is done in a way that really helps convey the story. And one of my favourite layouts is in volume two when Scott sets MD phones him up. Well, we get like a two page spread, like one, uh, the background is like completely white. Yeah. In one corner, got Scott on the phone, kind of like shots facial expression. 
then mm. the opposite um, page, completely blank, are the small speech bubbles saying, hey, Scott, just kind of like, oh shit, Scott was not expecting this person to be on the end of the mm. phone. It's interlaced as well with images of Scott with Envy from when they were together, which is really cool. Like, they're mixing his memories of her with this phone call. You know, and it's like him remembering when they were happy together, and now yeah. this is the point, like a, a year later, when Envy's ready to move on, but Scott very much is not. <laughs> He's not ready to move on from this, which is fair enough. She did cheat on him, so. Uh, Nonlinear storytelling, I think, is what it's called. It's like, it's okay. going back and forth. Uh, it's done very well, actually. All the, like, the seeing all the flashback stuff of Scott in school, like, uh, mm. like the volume two starts with him having to beat up what we perceive to be evil guy who's kidnapped Kim. We see Scott so having to fight him uh, because he's got Kim chained up on the roof of the school. Yeah, that was that was amazing. That was. But the funny thing is, a lot of this like non-linear storytelling is misremembered. I think we should probably dig into the themes a little bit. Your... First one, Scott is an art. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. We'll get that. We'll get that out of the way very quickly. Yeah. And so is a lot of the characters actually. I mean, Ramona is also an asshole. I mean, Envy, oh. Envy is also you know a bit of an asshole for cheating on him. I think she's awesome, but like she's a total asshole in, in plenty of spaces as well. These <laughs> characters rise above that by the end. I mean, there are some characters that are just straight up evil, like Gideon. But we don't care about him because obviously he's a bad guy. But basically. There are characters that have flaws in this story. They are flawed characters yeah. that have made mistakes, they're probably lost and stuff like that. But then they rise above that and they learn the air of their ways and, you know, they become better yeah. in their role. That thing, I think, Scott is complete scum, mm. but we've proved for him anyway. I don't know, it's something like somewhat kind of likeable in parts of his awfulness. It's kind of like Bojack Horseman. Yeah. We know that they're capable of doing better and we want to see them improve. Yeah. So that's what keeps us engaged. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, deep down, I don't think they're intentionally malicious characters either, but they're just people that are pursuing basically more or less the same thing, which is happiness. And, you know, even with Envy yeah, Adams. Like, just normal um, people for them. Yeah, yeah. I think with Scott, at the start, he's dating a 17-year-old. Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. How old are you now, Scott? Like, 28? Because he's uh, than having, like, an adult relationship, which is very grim, very sketchy. And then Ramona is kind of with Scott for essentially the same reason that Scott's in life, as in she felt neglected by her ex and she kind of wanted something, like, simple rather than actually confronting, like, yeah. his past. I know we all hate Gideon. So Gideon's like Ramona's e like most evil ex who lead yeah. who lead all the other evil exes against against Scott. And there is one moment with Gideon that I feel is is really strong, and and it like he is totally manipulative and he's horrible. Like he's obsessive. That's why he does all this is because he's like he wants Ramona back because he basically wants to own her. Yeah, she's frozen all his ex-girlfriends in like cryo. Yeah, that's unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, like, that's just a way to really like highlight how controlling he is. But there is the one moment that's so brilliantly done. So basically, at one point in the story, Ramona leaves Scott, and it's like a horrible moment for him because she, yeah, she basically runs away. As as, as you as you guys were saying, she runs away from her problem. She doesn't face them head on. She leaves Scott, and it's this really sad scene of her, basically, because, yeah, the world's all video game logic. She basically vanishes right in front of him. And one thing that I really liked was that she did the exact same thing to Gideon. 
I don't know. I felt I did feel a little sorry for Gideon because he he felt the exact same thing that Scott felt. Like obviously for very different reasons, mm. uh, Ramona left Gideon because she'd written a letter explaining, "Oh, Gideon, it's over." But then she took that with her. She didn't leave it to Gideon. So for him, he never got any closure with her. So ultimately, you know, it's ridiculous. Like you know, this whole story of like evil exes and fighting Scott and. All of this nuts, crazy video game logic. But ultimately, Gideon, like everyone else, he just wants closure, and he and just wants wants to know yeah. why Ramona left him. That goes back to MV Adams as well with Scott, and it literally is just a matter of. I mean, that's the thing. I think this is a story about redemption and closure, and uh, yeah, well, basically those two things actually. Uh, but basically, <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, yeah. I was going to say one thing that kind of encapsulates this is. Character kind of shows up here and there, and he's kind of like a background presence. Is the nigger Scott, who yes. is basically um, Scott's like he's buried like every shitty thing he's done, like deep down. And the nigger Scott is the manifestation of this, mm. and he beats nigger Scott not by having like a fight with it, but by allowing the nigger Scott to like become one with him, and yeah. so he can begin owning his mistakes and righting wrongs, and like actually like growing up because um, as six as he is at 16 as he is at like 23 24 he refuses to grow up is the problem it's why he's dating our high but school that goes back to the theme like that we were talking about like you know accepting the past closure and stuff like that it's really what scott has he hasn't got closure he hasn't got closure from envy adams and his experiences with her i know envy adams is not a bad person obviously but she's flawed and because of that he becomes flawed as well but then he also hurts other people like knives. And then they become vengeful. It's like this infectious pattern between characters. And same with Romero Flowers, you know, the evil league of boyfriends and stuff like that. All these characters hurt each other, but it's only by the end that they all kind of fix themselves and give each other closure and stuff like that. That, that you know, peace is kind of established. And they grow and redeem themselves because of that. And that's what I think is really beautiful about the story. Let's talk about my favourite character and everyone's favourite character, which is, of course, Wallace Wells. Because <laughs> um, we haven't talked about Wallace yet. This is my cool gay roommate, Wallace Wells. Hi. He's gay. Yeah. Wallace so, is great. Wallace is Scott's gay roommate who lets Scott live in his apartment because let's be real, it's Wallace's apartment and Scott is just crashing there. In the first volume, we see Scott's up in the apartment and there's like kind of like a speech bubble showing who runs what and like pretty much everything is that Wallace's TV, Wallace's video games, Wallace's um, bed. And then there's like Scott's coat. <laughs> That'll be it. He's like, Scott, yeah. you're my bitch for forever. And then <laughs> next to Scott's coat is Wallace's coat, and in brackets says, better. But Wallace is cool. He's kind of Scott's best friend. He's he's his wingman in a lot of cases. He's witty. But he, he knows that Scott's being a piece of shit. Yes. And that start for too, because Scott hasn't broken up with Nice by the time he's going after Ramona. Wallace is just like, okay, you need to break up with Knives, or I'm going to tell Ramona about this. Yeah. yeah. Scott is given a perfect moment to break up with knives and he chokes and he doesn't do it and he ends up cheating on both Ramona and knives at the same time by two-timing them. It's really shitty behavior. <laughs> Wallace is great. He just tells him, I'm, I'm going to give you this ultimatum. It might live in infamy. Is um, there like one bit like where like Scott comes back really late? He goes like, your mum and I were very worried about you. He's basically like just, <laughs> he's like his little carer. <laughs> 
but he also he's the funniest thing in volume one when when they're listening to the band for the first time and he's just shouting at the uh at the band crash and the boys while, while they're performing their set my name is crash these are the boys is that girl a boy too yes Okay, this song is dedicated to the guy in the bathroom who keeps shouting stuff at us. It's called We Hate You, Please Die. Sweet! Love this one. <laughs> he's like, in the in the book, I think yeah. he says, Ooh, a song for me. <laughs> and I love that. Then he steals Scott's little sister's um, boyfriend that she brought along with, with her. And she's yeah. like, What the fuck, Wallace? What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, poor Stacy. She brings Jimmy along, and Jimmy is very clearly a closeted homosexual. Um, <laughs> oh, and, um, and, like immediately, Wallace is just like hitting on him. It's amazing. But I love the line when he says, "Hey, Jimmy, do they rock or suck?" They have not started playing yet. Let's test, Jimmy. One, two. You passed. <laughs> My favourite character is probably um, Kim, who's um, the drummer of Scott's band, and she's oh. known Scott since um, school, and she actually dated Scott in school. Yeah. What I love about Kim is she is 100% aware that Scott is dumb. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Like, she restricts him constantly. She disapproves of, like, him both dating a high schooler and then instantly like going out with Ramona. Where's Knives? Not coming in tonight? No, we broke up. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. But she still sticks with him. She still can't, much like us, the readers, she wants him to do better mm. and she hopes for him to do better so, and she's like a big part of his redemption as she kind of like spelled out to him our relationship was not great you just left me and i had to find out through our best friends that yeah. you were moving away yeah he had two girls in his life at school he had lisa miller he had kim pine and it, it's made very apparent that he confuses the two of them in his memories because uh... yeah like Scott is a piece of shit. And yeah, so like one of the big things is that he told Lisa that yeah. he was moving away, but he didn't tell his girlfriend, Kim, that he was moving away. Yeah, and going back to what Rob mentioned about the little poor sob that got like beaten up by Scott, he kind of justifies it in his mind as like this big guy that's floating. He was evil. He was evil. He's like a trackable Zeevan, but no, he was like this poor little guy that like talked to Kim for like five minutes or something like that and beat the shit out yeah. of him. Yeah, oh yeah, Scott. <laughs> Bully. That's the thing. I, I love that Envy Adams mentions a few times, like when Scott's like, "Oh my God, you broke my heart. Like you made me miserable, and and you cheated on me." And and Envy's just like, "Oh please," as if you're like innocent in all this. And Scott is just completely bemused by that. He just he goes, "What?" He can't understand that because Gideon's the same with Ramona. Is he's got similar memories with Ramona, but yeah. he doesn't realize that he was neglecting Ramona, which is why Ramona like left him without a word. And he only cared about her when she left. Left was was the moment, you know. Like, it's this is the thing. This series is amazing. There's so much going on with the different relationships. I actually really love Lisa Miller. She comes back into Scott's life. She she doesn't care that he's dating Ramona. Like she always had a crush on him at school. She tries to like finally get with him years later, but of course it's not going to work because he's seeing Ramona now, and it's just yeah, it's really yeah. sad. One of my favorite things, my favorite volumes of volume three and volume four. Volume four might be my favorite. Just edge it out, just because. It's the one where Scott finally starts getting his shit together. I think 
Ramona gets mad at him because she thinks him and Lisa are having a, like an affair, which is kind of hypocritical considering Ramona has like cheated on multiple guys, including dating twins at the same time. Uh, but yeah, so Scott has to go and live with Lisa for a bit because uh, mm. he has nowhere else to go. And I think at one point um, Lisa's like, maybe we should have a thing. And then we kind yeah. of like flash forward and find out, uh, from Lisa, no, we didn't do anything. You just started sobbing and talking about how much you love Ramona. And that point, Lisa's just like, shit, you really yeah. love her. Just go, to, go to her. And she's like, kind of like, um, I'm putting her feelings aside for him. Well, she's matured. Like, this is the thing. A lot of these characters have matured a lot further than Scott has. And then, so they're the ones who are kind of guiding him towards adulthood, I guess. Even in the last volume, she's like, yes, yeah, Scott, you're really shitty for me. So I'm yeah. kind of done with you. Can we, just, can we just talk about, you know, like how badly treated by everyone knives is? In fact, let's just quickly go back. I mean, you all say, like, you know, Envy's flawed. I mean, she basically got her friend to slap knives. That's, that's, uh, oh, yeah. That's this is bullshit. what I mean. Like, Envy is a total asshole. But, like, but poor <laughs> knives. Like, knives is, like, just innocent. She's just kind of. Uh, like she's unfamiliar with the world that she's basically around with these guys. She's a teenager yeah. in a world of like people in their mid twenties. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, she's uh, not mature enough to cope no. with that, and so, which is why well, she reacts like she does when Scott leaves her because she's not emotionally mature enough to um, exactly, cope yeah. with that. So yeah. She, no. Like yeah. she blames Ramona for everything. She she knows that Scott cheated on her, but she blames Ramona for it. So she goes after Ramona. She's like, "Oh, Scott's this sweet little angel. It's Ramona's fault." Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. And even like with like Envy Adams, it's kind of like deifying your idols in a way, you know. You think, oh my god, mm -hmm. they can do no wrong, you know, and then uh, when you meet them, they break your heart. And that's obviously what happened with Envy as well. It's only like by the fifth graphic novel that Knives does figure herself out. She becomes independent and stuff like that. I think she goes to university as well. Yeah, hey, uh, at the end, yeah. yeah. Which goes to that very, very, yeah, but there's also that very awkward moment where Scott's like, we should have casual sex. It's like, no. <laughs> no, that's because um, it was awkward you know, for everyone. At the start of volume six, um, Scott's like super depressed about Ramona, and Wallace is just like, dude, you are just boring me. Go out and sleep with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's like, oh, okay. So then yes. Oh, that's what he says after he says it's not like what is gave me confusing advice. Forget yeah. I said anything. Yeah. Knives offers like they can make out and, and they it's try horrible for everyone. Most from a horrible. And then thing. there's a little caption saying it was horrible in brackets even for you. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> I love the fact that Scott tries that same thing with Envy as well. They meet up in a coffee shop and he's like, uh, "Do you want to have casual sex?" <laughs> like <laughs> Envy, it's just a million years above his level at this point. Like, it's, it's just kind of pathetic. It's same, great. Then he tries kissing Kim and she's just like, Scott, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, we were sweethearts in high school. We only broke up because I had to move away. Because it's still important that Scott's completely oblivious to how he's treated people. We talk about emotional maturity, but Scott himself develops it quite late. And I think it's all due to the fact that he keeps pushing the past away. And as we mentioned with Nega Scott, it's only when he defeats him that he kind of comes to terms with his maturity and becomes a better person. You know? Yeah, or he tries to, you know. Yeah, yeah, because as soon as he realizes what he's saying, it's like, I'm terrible. I don't deserve to get Ramona back. Mm. And then him being as great as she is, he's like, this is why you have to go back and try and earn her back. Yeah. Kim, yeah. as I mentioned before, is like the only character that probably has a life, well, not like a life together, but her 
mentality together and is not you know he doesn't that doesn't though because she still has to like leave and, and live with her parents for a bit like she doesn't have her shit together like no no thing. she doesn't but at, she's not at, one, but at she's... one point scott says you're so like uncomplicated and she just bursts out laughing at him because she's like really like you don't know anything about me scott yeah like, really. but she's also not the one that's assembling like a mass of evil exes coming after her or anything <laughs> like that. you know i don't know that's the thing about the exes is um, Gideon gets like so mad about Ramona leaving. He puts up like an ad on Craigslist saying, "If you've dated this girl, come and contact me. We can take her down." He yeah, unexpectedly, her actual ex-woman is dating all the way back from like high school. Are responding to the ads, and Gideon's like, "I'm doing this." Yeah, it's like kind of like, "Come on, guys, get over it." <laughs> Not even high school. Like Matthew Patel was from like grade school when they were maybe eight or something and they made out once they made out once once. yeah Yeah. like what i love matthew patel pirates are in this year what's up with his outfit yeah is he a pirate are you a pirate pirates are in this year Oh, it's brilliant, um, that. With his hipster chips. Although, my favourite X is probably Todd, because he's kind of like an evil mirror of Scott. Volume 3 is another reason that's my favourite, because it's the one where Envy's back. So he has to face up with that. And Todd is a more evil, more successful of Scott. So he plays bass in a successful band, and he's dating the, the ex that Scott couldn't hold on to. And he's also one of Ramona's exes, so he has to fight him. Isn't he the psychic vegan as well? Psychic vegan, yes. Oh yeah, that's brilliant, that. Being vegan just makes you better than most people. Well, James, what's your favourite thing related to Todd and the vegans? First of all, it's the first time I actually discovered what a vegan was. This is literally, I had to say this, but I actually discovered veganism through Scott Pilgrim. So there's that. But also, it's just the fact that, like, there's the vegan police. It's the vegan police. Freeze! Vegan police! Vegan police! So it's the fact that like there's these in the film and the video games and the graphic novels, it's the only thing that's done right every time. It's just like these two guys saying like 1227 a.m. on February 1st, you know only ingested gelato. Gelato isn't vegan. It's milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> I thought, well, chicken's not a vegetable at one point. Chicken isn't vegan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chicken isn't vegan. You're under arrest for veganity violation. And they have like these invisible guns, like they point their fingers out like pistols and project like psychic power and then they just suck away all the psychic powers from Todd. No vegan diet, no vegan powers! And what veganism causes about that is in the book we see him having like um, a gelato or something and yeah. Envy assumes it's like a fruit thing and, and he's talking to the, I think the drummer of um, their band who he's cheating on yeah. because he's much he's, like... He's cheating on anything like that. Yeah, it's cheating on like everyone. <laughs> like, I can break the rules every once in a while. I'm a rock star. Then that it comes back to bite him in the arse during the fight with Scott. He's just like, vegan, please. And then they zap his power and Scott headbutts him and he bursts into loads of coins. If I was to ever have a spin off of Scott Pilgrim, I just want one of the vegan police, to be honest. Just have them having like weird, like psychic adventures and, you know, <laughs> just doing all crazy stuff. Looking out for like this. This meat eater, or whatever, is like, we gotta find him. He's, we're on the case. Oh, so something like, um, you know, the show Cops, something like that. Yeah. Like yeah, like a buddy kind of like cop comedy or something. It's just those two vegan bullies. That'd be brilliant. Wait, actually, that reminds me, Rob, are you, because you don't eat a lot of meat yourself, does that mean you're partially psychic? Well, I don't <laughs> eat any meat, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. But I'm competent at Mortal Kombat, so that might have something to do oh, with it. Alright, fair enough, oh, fair enough. Uh, you see, like Todd would tell you, you're not, you don't, you're not fully vegan, Rob. So you don't, you don't have the psychic powers that would, that you would get from veganism. Anyone can be vegan. 
ovo-lacto-vegetarian, maybe. But he's still good at Mortal Kombat, so it must have done something for him. And only the most powerful can achieve true veganism. Yeah, I've seen the film and he's like, I don't eat anything with a face. I partake not in the meat, nor the breast milk, nor the ovum of any creature with a face. Every fight scene, well, most of the story, I just want to say this quickly, I always have the Street Fighter 2 Isle theme playing in my head every single time. Oh, wow. um, I'm a really big fan of that song, and I have that song in my head throughout all of Scott Pilgrim. It's very appropriate. I play it while you're reading, honestly. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Do we right. uh, want to jump ahead to the films very quickly? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Maybe next time we don't date the girl with 11 evil ex-boyfriends. Okay. Oh, that's not that bad. First thing I want to say about the film, most of the movie is spot on. They've got the look of the, got the style, right? Yeah. The sound design is spot on. Most of the casting is good. And the editing is really good. So editing is probably like the best thing about the film. But on the, the other hand, we've got Michael Serra. I like Michael Serra. He's great into bad and aggressive development. But he's just not Scott Pilgrim. He feels way too socially awkward. So he's not believable as an arsehole. And that ends up downplaying by like Scott's awful behaviour and like. Yeah. Redemption at the end. You don't yeah, feel like yeah. he's really kind of like learned anything. So it's yeah, all rushed right. because in the books everything's like spaced out between like the, the six books. Because obviously it condensed into like a two hour film, it all the everything happens in like really quick succession. Mm. And so it's like we don't get to see Scott's growth. No. That's the thing. I mean it's a six there's six graphic novels. You could probably make the whole thing into six movies if you wanted to and pace it out, but they kind of Or a Netflix series. Yes, I was gonna make well, to be honest, I think the whole thing would work brilliantly as a Netflix animated series, but it could still probably work as a live action thing, and it did with the Scott Pilgrim movie, but it just wasn't spaced apart. It was all kind of slam dunked together. And also, I believe the film came out before the final, the sixth graphic novel came out, so we didn't actually know the ending, so that's why the ending's quite different. I think they started writing the script like right after the first book came out. I think Brian Lee O'Malley did collaborate, so it was like kind of like... He would have given him like an idea. Yeah. Yeah. You really get the sense of like the first three books are like adapted almost perfectly, like just everything about it. And then the next three books, it kind of starts to, they needed to like shove it all together in like the last kind of 10 minutes, which is a shame. It's Opening like, stuff is amazing. Yeah, so it's like right after Scott fight and Todd, yeah. he goes to like an Arthur path and suddenly like next sex, Roxy is there. And it's got that weird bit where Scott kills her by giving her, by touching her back on me, which causes her to orgasm to death, which is uh, a bit weird. Yeah. That was Envy's thing. That was Envy thing. I'm, I'm, I'm upset that Roxy stole Envy's And it, it works differently because it, it, it didn't make Envy orgasm so hard she died. No, that was weird. Um. <laughs> it's <laughs> but like, yeah, it's very strange that can we quickly... But there are some things that are in the film that are probably quite good and I kind of wish that are actually in the graphic novel. Namely, the moment when Scott meets Ramona for the first time outside of the dream. So in the dream, you know, Ramona's just like, oh, you're just dreaming, you're having a nightmare, wake up, etc. And then they meet at the party and he's like, am I dreaming? Is this real? But in the film, they had a new bit of dialogue that wasn't in the graphic novel. was about Pac-Man. Hey, you know Pac-Man? I know of him. Well, Pac-Man was originally called Puckman. They changed it because, uh, not because Pac-Man looks like a hockey puck. Paku Paku means flap your mouth. And they were f worried people would change, scratch out the P, turn it into an F, like 
Uh, am I dreaming? I'll leave you alone forever now. Thanks. And then when he flutters the apostle, he's like, You don't remember me, do you? We met at the party the other day. Were you the Pac-Man guy? No, not even. That was some total ass. I was the other guy. To be fair, in the movie, that was done better. <laughs> I like that. Oh, that was a good moment. But they said basically the dialogue was like, they couldn't call Pac-Man, uh, they always called him uh, Puck-Man, but they couldn't call him that because it rhymed with something else. Yeah. The, the I am lesbians with you moment. That wasn't in the graphic novel. And I know you have reasons for not wanting to talk about your past, and I want you to know I don't care about any of that stuff because I'm in lesbians with you. What? Scott has a lesbian fetish. I'm gonna just say that straight up. He totally does. Step up your game, Scott. Break out the L word. Lesbian? The other L word. Lesbians? It's love, Scott. I wasn't trying to trick you. So at one point, it turns out that one of Ramona's exes is, is the girl, Roxy. And uh, he describes it as her sexy phase when she says, yeah, I had a phase. <laughs> um, but there's also the detail I noticed, which was um, he has a poster of like two girls making out like above their bed. So just stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Scott, Scott has issues on this, on this thing. Um, it's good. I think it's a good, it's a good character note in the sense that, yeah, he is a total asshole. There's a moment in the third graphic, I know we're going back to the graphic novels, but there's a bit where like Scott actually asks Ramona, like, have you ever kissed a girl before? And she goes, yes. And all of a sudden like, it just caps to him going shivering with delight. And then she's just like, you're such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, so it's uh, foreshadowing oh, rather no. than um, we're in the film, it's just something just thrown straight in. Although we do kind of see Roxy beforehand, but we don't know who she is. She's just like some weird ninja who's stalking Scott. It's wild. Did you say that the actor Roxy was uh, a voice actor for Katara in Avatar? Yes, yeah. she was uh, May Whitman. Mm. And funny enough, she was also in Arrested Development with uh, Michael Serra. She played this character. I forget, I forget her character's name because practically every time Michael Serra's family refers to these are they're just like oh her kind of want to buy her a diamond her i do like the movie i do think it's not as good as the graphic novels i enjoy it i mean yeah, i felt like i really disliked the yeah as rob mentioned i really disliked the brushing over of scott yeah. being an asshole they, they really paint him oh. as a nice guy which just drives me up the wall because he's not he isn't a nice yeah. guy. Points. Um, because he, that, that's the thing I don't like with the Nega Scott at the end. The Nega Scott yeah. oh, um, just shows up. Scott has a conversation with him and he's like, "Oh yeah, we're going for brunch next week." He's a lot. He's a nice guy. We've got a lot in common. No. It's just like no. Uh, however, well, it could have been so much worse because the yeah. original ending of the film, which they actually filmed, you can find it on like the deleted scenes on like the DVD, right? So in the original ending, Mona just leaves and then Scott ends up with Nice, which is super. <laughs> And I can kind of see hints of that in the finished film because the yeah. final battle isn't Scott and Ramona teaming up to fight Gideon, it's Scott and Knives. And then when yeah. they beat Gideon, Ramona's like, oh yeah, you two make a great pair. No. So like, there's a really cool moment in the books, and it happens in the film when Knives bleaches and dyes her hair. But in the book, even in like the, the black and white version, you could tell it was like red, right? Like, and that's the that's the look she has in the color version of the book. Knives has a really cool moment when she dyes her hair red, and it's kind of like she's trying to change herself a little bit. You know, she's make herself cool and mature, and she's seen Ramona who dyes her hair and has thought, oh yeah, clearly if I if I dye my hair, then that shows that I'm just as like cool and hipster as this girl that. Scott's now seeing. Yeah. But the problem is, is that they 
in the film, she dyes her hair blue in that, and it's the same color as Ramona's. I didn't like that because I felt like that made it too obvious that she was aping off of Ramona's style, but it also didn't give Knives her own kind of personality, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't know, it just, it just bugged me. <laughs> it was yeah. Like, the thing with Knives is Scott breaks up with her, she finds out about Ramona, and then we barely see her till at the end of the film when she shows up for the final battle. And that's nothing, so Scott, at the end, he admits to cheating on like Ramona and Knives, and they're just like, yeah, that's cool. And so Scott faces up no repercussions. Yeah, that's weird, that. That was all kind of rushed. And Ramona basically yeah, leaves Because them. in the book, yeah, she's um, but she acts like Scott's like the worst person ever. She goes off and watches X-Files. But it's the moment when she realises that Scott isn't the nice guy that he kind of paints himself as, which is why it drove me nuts that the film paints him as the nice guy. Because he's not. That, like The whole point of him cheating on them both is to show that deep down he, he can be a really shitty person. Yeah. Especially for women. Yeah. And it was just like, ugh. <laughs> How can the film not yeah, understand that? One thing I do think the film got spot on is the music. Particularly think mm. the music of the various fans. So they set the bomb. I know that the idea is that they're a bit of a shit band. Their songs are really good. They, and they sound exactly like you'd imagine set bomb sounding. Same with things, was it? The Clash at Demon Head. That, I love that song. Um, it's such a cool band. Yeah, I literally listen to that cool. sometimes. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. Well, literally, unironically, I do listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, that's yeah, the song, yeah, the, song, the sex, that sex song play in the bit, the Kutarabi twins, was it Threshold? Yeah. It's such a good song. Yeah. I really liked the electro music with Kyle and Ken. Also, I only just realized recently their names, Kyle and Ken, Kaioken from Dragon Ball Z. Kaioken! Oh, I just didn't know if you want to quickly just talk about Scott versus the animation, as Rob mentioned earlier on. This is actually in promotion of the Edgar Wright film, and it's a five minute short, and it is verbatim, well, almost verbatim, the segment of Lisa Miller's uh, story in Scott Pilgrim, the graphic novels. What are you in for? I got in a fight. An awesome fight. Did you win? Uh, not really. Well, at least you're honest. Are you new? Yeah. Me too. I'm Lisa. Scott Pilgrim. It's stylized the same. It literally is like that section of the graphic novel, but moving. It has the voice acting. The cast on yeah. the film as well. Yeah. Mae Whitman, who plays Roxy, she voiced Lisa. Yeah. And I think they've got the guy who played Gideon to voice the guy that Scott has to fight. So they got the cast back. It looks just brilliant. It's in colour as well. They have all like the retro video game sound effects playing throughout it, including the bubbles that you see in the comics as well. When Lisa shows up, it's um, that says Lisa Miller, not yeah. in the movie. Exactly, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because. I mean, they do mention Lisa Miller in the movie. Apparently, Scott dated her in the movie, apparently. So they completely screw that up again. He just mentions that he, he screwed over Lisa and he brushes it off. The animation is really good. The sound design is very good. And basically, what we want is a series like that. Please, Netflix, we're begging you, make a damn series in this style. Because it's so good. And you will, you, will, you will make a lot of money. You will make a lot of people happy. Please do it. We will start up the Kickstarter for you. Yes. You make this. Yes, please, we will do this. That's really all I've got to say about it. I literally have no qualms with the animation. It was almost like a perfect adaptation of 
the graphic novel. And the animators who ever made it, they should be very proud of themselves. If we had a band, we would be cool. Even if we suck. We would transcend our class status or whatever and become automatically cool. Our class status? You know how I'm not a goth and you're not a jock? I'm such a jock. Shall we go on to <laughs> yeah. the video game now? Yes. So, the soundtrack, I still listen to it this very day. I haven't mm. finished the game myself. I don't think any of us have actually finished the game. I don't think anyone has no, finished No, I tried to finish it because very recently, we timed this podcast super well, as in, I think a couple months ago, the video game finally was re-released for modern consoles. For years, um, it's been like unavailable to like all kinds of like licensing issues. I got it on the Switch because portable and all on that weekend. I thought, yeah. I could beat this game for the podcast. However, I am no. terrible at the game. Even playing on like the easiest difficulty, I got to like level five and just it got, it got so ridiculous. Like, I mean, the game is really <laughs> fun, but I'm just terrible at it. You know, there's different there's different endings for it as well, Rob. I know. Like oh, yeah, um... there's different endings for different characters. Like, I'm yeah. So you have to complete it four times. You have to complete it four times. <laughs> <laughs> It's like an old like uh, Battletoads style um, yeah. uh, it's a game. Like a SNES game, which is um, perfect. Yeah. I think perfect for what they were going for. Yeah, no, I remember it being hard. Like I remember playing it at a friend's house years ago, and it was like it was tough, yeah. but it was really cool. Like visually, it was just it looked great, yeah. and it looked yeah. so See, much it's, like um, yeah. It was made to time with the film, but it closer to the books because everything looks like the books. And you'll see characters from the books in the backgrounds just standing there mm. having around chatting, and that is so cool. Wish you read the books because you're like. Oh, I know you. That's Lisa, just standing in the background. Oh, Joseph, who produced the Sex Bomb album. That's great. <laughs> I just love. I've seen them all. I love the soundtrack. Though. I remember when the oh, trailer. Oh, yeah, the soundtrack's so cool. Particularly the third level, which again, funny, it's the level you fight Tom. It's got this really, really cool song that oh, plays yeah. in the background, and and whenever I play the level, I just feel so hyped up by that song. Even like the the first level you play through, which is has the song Another Winter. I literally I had the iTunes when it was the thing, like the iTunes song. And I was listening to it while work when I went to work. So while I was walking to work and stuff like that, I had this little chip tune track playing, and I just loved it. It was so upbeat. You ready to kickstart the day, sort of thing, and that's nice. Because that's one of the things I think it was written by like an actual band who specialise in like chip tune songs. Yeah. Like, um, but so they do actually sound like actual songs rather than like your your typical video game music. Yeah. I, I, when the trailer first came out and I heard the music again, I was just literally like, oh my god. <laughs> it was brilliant. Very emotional time. I've actually ordered the special edition, oh, so got... I actually haven't played it yet, so I'm waiting for it to arrive. It's got t-shirts and stuff included, and the record player of the server track. So. See, I'm a peasant with just a digital version on the Switch. I've got it downloaded, so if, God forbid, it gets yanked away again, I am safe. I think on Twitter, Brian O'Malley said something like, he was obviously joking, said something like, okay, Disney have got rid of the game, so I'm going to come around to all your houses to personally get rid of the game from your consoles. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, it's good you've done that, probably, because you've got to play it before the podcast, so I'm still waiting for it to arrive. It's coming all the way from America. So I guess we can say our favourite of the Evil Exes. Yes. I think my, I'll go first, my, my favourite evil act I think is Lucas Lee, he, he's like this big Hollywood actor at this point by the time that we meet him and he does not, I think he, he actually does have his shit together for the most part in the book, he just doesn't care that much about like the whole League of Evil Exes thing that Gideon's doing, so like when he does like beat up Scott it's just kind of like, 
Yeah, you know, like, they want me to do it, so why not? But, like, he just doesn't just, care at all. Something, I think Aubrey's like, why don't you give me all your money and I'll just go to Gideon and tell him I killed you. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. Like, let's let's take five and have coffee and just chat. <laughs> like, And then, of course, you know, it's only when Scott challenges him, because he used to be a skater, so it's only when uh, he challenges him to a skateboarding challenge that he's able to trick him into accidentally killing himself by going too fast to live, as they say. <laughs> but yeah, what was your favourite one? I already mentioned this, but it is um, Todd because I'm a sucker for when characters are like evil versions of themselves. Like for years, Venom was my favourite Spider-Man Venom because he's basically the evil mirror image of Spider-Man. So Todd yeah. Ingram is the Venom to stop Spider-Man, as it were. So mm. that's why I like Todd. And James, I was gonna say Todd, but I will also say I do like the twins. Stylistically, I will say in the films that I do like the whole kind of dragons that appear out of their guitars and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. But in the original graphic novels and stuff like that, they build robots. They build robots. They crash a party, but also there's that one moment when they kidnap Kim Pine and Kim yeah. actually lies. She basically has a low battery phone. She's probably like still drunk actually at this point because they're yeah. like, yeah. But she was saying like, oh, Ramona is looking forward to see you again, Scott, and stuff like that. And then they actually turn around and realize that this one moment, like, impossible. Ramona can change herself? And he realized deep down that I guess they're still lost themselves, aren't they? There's a kind of yeah, well, deep down heartbreak. Yeah, they're all working on the assumption that Ramona is still like the piece of shit who cheated on them, basically. And, yeah. and you know, she is changing herself and trying to get better. Well, one thing you reminded me of, though, is, is that Brian Lee O'Malley, so he's Korean-Canadian. And I was really noticing there's a lot of great little touches of kind of like Asian-Canadian culture, which you can see in Kyle and Ken, who are, you know, these ja Japanese twins who build robots, of course. But then you also have Knives Chow, who's Chinese-Canadian. Yeah. There's a really great moment when her dad speaks to her in Chinese. And like, you think that he's saying something really profound to her. And then, and then like her she friend Summer like, the word. what did he say? And he's like, I don't know, you're speaking Chinese or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that will cost out of the films. Knives' his dad's going on a murder. Oh, yeah. Scott. That never yeah, that's a shame. There's a lot of great little stuff like that that they cut out. They they cut out a lot of that kind of yeah Asian Canadian culture, which is a shame. The series also really loves cooking, and they actually give you a recipe at one point. I they I actually give you the songs as well, like uh, that you can play for yourself with the chords. It's really cute. It's a really great book series. The movie's pretty fun. Read like, the, book, the game is hard. Check it out, everyone. It's a good series. We recommend it. I've read the book series about at least seven or eight times Same, yeah. since I first read them just over eight years ago. I think so I've read it the equivalent of once a year since I have since I first read them. So if that's not a reason to check them out, then I don't know how else I could convince you. Yeah. If you want to understand millennials, this is a pretty good place to look. Captures their world pretty perfectly. Or another way you can understand millennials is to listen to more episodes of our podcast. Yeah, yeah, please do. We have all of that picture. You can follow us on all our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at BluecastPods, and we also have an email address, which is bluecast.outlook.com. If you have any feedback you want to give us, or a rating and review, please send us an email. And you never know, we might decide to give you a shout out on the podcast, which would be nice. Yeah, so we're on YouTube, we're on Apple Podcasts, 
and we're on Spotify and SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yep. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or even if you have an Apple account, please go to our Apple Podcast page and leave us a rating and review. That helps us out a lot and it's good to know that people are enjoying what we're doing. So thank you everyone for listening. We've had a lot of fun talking about it. We love Scott Pilgrim and we've had a good time reading it. Um, Ewan, can you tell us what we're going to be discussing next time. So next time, we are listening to that other great bastion of pop culture, Simpsons, season five. You've chosen season five because it's the best one. And why not? <laughs> it's, it's like the peak of Simpsons, and we can't do a whole episode talking about every season of The Simpsons because A, there's so much to cover, and B, John spends half the episode trashing modern Simpsons. Exactly. So we're going to talk about one of the best seasons, and it'll be really fun to rewatch it all, and I'm looking forward to it. I've already started rewatching it, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in. The Blue Pass bids you farewell. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bread makes you fat?